Podcast, and these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland. This series brings to life the oral histories of journalists in North and South Dakota, newspaper legends who devoted their lives to covering their rural communities. By now, a few have passed on, but all of their legacies endure, and their history is forever preserved in the newspapers they leave behind, as well as through these stories. These episodes are sponsored by the North Dakota Newspaper Association and the South Dakota Newspaper Association. Since the 1880s, both have advocated for the public's right to know and for the importance of newspapers in a democracy. In our first two episodes, we introduce you to the cast of characters who make up this series, 10 journalists from North Dakota and 9 from South Dakota. The rest of the series captures their regional journalism history in the upper Midwest. We also discuss these journalists' reflections on how to be successful journalists, the state of women in media, and the future of journalism. Because journalism history is about more than just the media outlets in New York and Washington, D.C. Our South Dakota story begins with Verlin Hofer, who began his journalism career in the 1930s as a child working for his family's newspaper, the Lenox Independent. My parents were Edward and Cora Hofer, and they operated this little newspaper in Davis. They bought that about a year before I was born and moved there from Canton. And, uh, and they continued to operate that newspaper until, well, I'll give you the exact date, September 13, 1928. Fortunately, they had gotten the newspaper printed and mailed, and then I caught a train to go to the state fair in Huron. And just hours after they left Davis, a tornado completely wiped out that town at that time. And their house was destroyed and the, and the print shop was wrecked. Everything was gone. So and that's starting all over again. So and my dad managed to scrape enough together and borrow enough and however he did to buy the newspaper in Lenox at that time because it was for sale and it just kind of worked out. So I've lived in Lenox or, uh, ever since then. He would carry on the family tradition but with a few notable journeys along the way. Soon after graduating high school, Hofer was drafted into service during World War II. While sailing to Europe, he helped put out issues of the ship's newsletter. His military service resulted in his receiving both a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. We explore this service in a future episode. After the war, Hofer resumed working alongside his father at the Independent. At the time, about 1,200 people lived in the town. That was the best times. As far as uh, economics are concerned, from uh, from the early fifties uh, well, to the end to the to the early sixties, I'd say that was the best decade we had for a local newspaper. Lots of advertising. Hofer became full owner of the paper in 1983. He also operated the family printing business, Showprint, 
which specialized in carnival and fireworks poster printing. He sold the Independence in 1992, but continued to write a column for the paper long into his retirement. Wayne Lyford's ties to newspapers also date back to the 1930s. He fell in love with printing and newspapers during a Boy Scout project. And my Boy Scout man, leader was a printer. And so he took me down to the print shop and set me up for getting a merit badge in the uh, scouting program. And I liked it. I fell in love with being able to put ink to, pre to, uh, to type and, uh, and see what, what happened. So uh, I got interested in, very definitely interested in the uh, printing business. And I was only 12 years old. After college, Lyford began his journalism career in Iowa. Shortly after, in 1950, the Army called upon him to serve in the Korean War. Overseas, he became a war correspondent, writing stories about soldiers for publication in their hometown newspapers. We discuss this further in our military episode. Lyford eventually became owner of the Flandreau, South Dakota newspaper. He remembers well the technology of his early years in the business. Well, it was letterpress. You know what letterpress is. It was okay. It was all handset type except on linotypes. So headlines were printed uh, from uh, t what they called foundry type. The type was about an inch high and it, it was in, in cases in uh, drawers and you had to pick letters out of the drawers to, make, to do the, uh, to form the headline. His wife Dorothy worked alongside him as a bookkeeper and assisted with society news and proofreading. Lyford retired from the paper in 1987. The series also features Dale Blagan, who has strived to bring a strong editorial voice to his community and push for open government throughout his decades in journalism. Well, in our home, we always had a newspaper. Uh, we didn't have much in uh, in the way of money or, or uh, anything else, and um, in some ways we we were maybe a little backward. We didn't have out in the farm. We didn't have running water. Even in town, we didn't have running water. My parents didn't get plumbing until I think it was 1968 or nine, somewhere in there. But we always had newspaper. In 1977, he bought the D. Smith News in a town best known for its ties to Laura Ingalls Wilder and her little house on the Prairie Books. I always liked to relate what was new to others. And journalism really offers the opportunity to learn something new nearly every day. Get the you know, you you come into work and uh, basically start with a blank slate, and by the end of the day, you put together something that you didn't know uh, at the beginning of the day. You get to talk to people that you probably wouldn't talk to otherwise, learn things from them that you probably wouldn't otherwise, and uh, it's really gratifying. And uh, it's uh, it it it's gratifying to record what's going on in 
in life and leaving a, a historical record of, uh, of what your community has been and become and will be and so forth. In 1984, he purchased the Lake Preston Times. Blaken has also served on the South Dakota Newspaper Association's First Amendment Committee. You know, throughout my career, I've been an advocate of open government, uh, and that probably is, in one sense, the most frustrating thing of, that I've ever been involved in. We've basically pushed and done everything we can to try to open South Dakota government, and we've made very minuscule movement forward. This state is closed up like most states are not. Um, People in South Dakota seem to think what their government does is not any of their business when it really is. And uh, they really don't think about access until there's something they really want and then find, lo and behold, they can't get it. As we've got laws and rules and interpretations that really shut a lot of information off. But uh, on the other hand, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have worked with other publishers and editors across the state to try to move that whole openness issue forward. On the western side of the state, Tim Gallego has made significant progress for Native American communities across the country through his journalistic and publishing endeavors. In creating the Lakota Times, Gallego gave a voice to Native Americans and addressed critical issues on the reservations. I started the Lakota Times at the same time that Shannon County, where Pine Ridge is located then, at a time when the interest rates at the banks were almost 20%. Shannon County had just been proclaimed the poorest county in America. So if I knew anything about business, I would never have done anything that was many people thought was very stupid. But I started the paper and with the $4,000, and our first publication came out on July the 1st, 1981. I think the proudest day of my life was when I took the papers to the printer, got it printed, took it out and delivered it myself to all the stores and talked them into carrying my paper. Persistent through threats to his newspaper office, Gallego stayed motivated and encouraged his employees to continue to report what was necessary to serve members of the community. It was their paper. For the first time in their history, they had a voice. They had a place where they could express their opinions. They had a, a, a paper that carried a lot of the good news that was going on. We carried the, the news about uh, what was happening in the schools. We carried sports stories. We carried stories about some of the people who are doing good things on the reservation. They never had that before because the, the daily papers around the reservation uh, never bothered to go in and do those stories. He continues to make a difference for the unheard and stifled voices of Native Americans. A future episode will examine his story in more depth. Noel Hamill also has an extensive background as a newspaper publisher in the Dakotas. He started out as a sports writer for the Huron Plainsman and later worked for a handful of other South Dakota papers. The Brookings Register, the Argus Leader in Sioux Falls, the Yankton Daily Press in Dakotan, and the Daily Republic of Mitchell. Well, you spend a lot of time worrying about advertising revenue. Um, 
So I would always go out of the office and make calls on uh, key advertisers, you know, building relationships with uh, your major advertisers. Um, we had an ad manager, but I was still actively involved in negotiating the annual contracts, for example, with the grocery stores, which were the largest advertisers, car dealerships. And then there was the commercial printing. We spent a lot of time trying to develop uh, new printing contracts because that's a revenue stream as well. <clears throat> spent a lot of time um, then on community affairs because you're the face of the newspaper. He also had concerns decades ago about the direction the newspaper industry was taking from a financial perspective. Hindsight's great. Most newspapers siphoned off resources from their news departments and other departments to put into their online presence. They didn't charge for the online, they gave it away. The shift from family-owned to corporate-owned newspapers has also been concerning to Hamill. I think one of the, the harmful things to South Dakota journalism has been the gobbling up of all the daily newspapers by corporations. I don't think that's helped journalism. We went for a period of years where corporations have a heavy focus on bottom line and profits. And I'm not saying private newspaper owners didn't either, but I don't necessarily think that the ownership of dailies by corporations has improved journalism in South Dakota. After retirement, he served in the South Dakota legislature for one term from 2008 to 2010. He has won numerous awards for editorial and column writing, and like others in this series, was inducted into the South Dakota Newspaper Hall of Fame. Mary Carol Keeter's interest in public service and watchdog journalism sparked in high school as she closely followed the news about Watergate and learned the importance of investigative reporting. I think journalists are essential to, de to democracy. I think the, the whole notion of the fourth estate, you know, the, um, somebody keeping track of what's going on is essential for people to really be able to govern themselves. Um, because without a, without a free press, you have no check on um, power and um, uh, corruption at any level, let alone at the highest levels. And so um, for a democracy to work, there have to be checks and balances. And one of those very important checks on, on power and, and abuse and public you know, service um, is provided by the press. She worked as a reporter for the Rapid City Journal, covering police and courts and later city government. She eventually worked her way up to executive editor of the Argus Leader. She left the paper in 2015 and now works as executive director of South Dakota Newswatch, a nonprofit committed to reporting statewide stories. You know, journalism is about um, putting a, a mirror up to the community and shining a light in dark places and all those cliche things that you hear. Um, it's about, you know, covering the community, telling people that live there what's going on and, and why and who are the people that are living there and what are the challenges that this community has and what are the successes that this community has. And, and you know, I think that same mission exists today. You have, again, many, many ways to tell those stories and to converse with that community. But the overall mission to me is still the same. 
Roger Casa knew from his days in elementary school that he was destined to be a writer, a determination made even stronger when a college professor told him he'd never make it as a journalist. For more than 50 years, Casa worked in the South Dakota journalism industry, continuing to write into his retirement after a long career at the Huron Daily Plainsman. Why do I love it? Hmm. Uh, because you can make a difference in people's lives and uh, you can influence people and you can influence issues and other things in the community and you can, you, you can take the lead yourself if you want to and uh, lead the community if you, if you want to be, the, be that kind of person and that, and it, that opportunity is there for you to be a leader and I, I was one of those people. In 2011, the city honored him with Roger Casa Day. The series also features Dick Lee, who was head of the South Dakota State University Department of Journalism from 1978 until his retirement in 2002. Before that, he had a long history in journalism. My grandfather was a newspaper editor before my father, so I'm the third generation of a, of a weekly newspaper family. And um, my grandfather was in the chicken business and in Texas, and the chickens caught a disease and they all died. He went to live with his wife's sister that took them to southern Illinois, a town about 40 miles out of St. Louis. and. Uh, <clears throat> and he got into the newspaper business there and uh, it was a very successful business. Uh, the expectation was that I would do a lot of work in the newspaper. Uh, I began writing a column for my dad's newspaper dictated to my mother when I was in the second grade. It was called the Cubs Column. At one time young reporters were considered cub reporters, and that was the term for them. And so I dictated to my mother this column each week. I did a riddle, and I did a joke, and I told what was going on at school, and what was going on in my second grade life, and uh, it ran every week in the newspaper, and editor and publisher declared that I was the youngest columnist in the country. Lee helped with his family's newspaper and was running the Rotary Press by fifth grade. Journalism education eventually became the focus of his life. During his time at South Dakota State, Lee was a champion of diversity and was one of the founding organizers of the Crazy Horse Journalism Workshop. He advocated for close ties with the Native American tribes. But every year, we had students going out to Pine Ridge and Rosebud and Cheyenne River and Sisson-Wapadon and all nine of the reservations in the state and reporting stories from there. And what it did was not only mentally break down what may have been perceived as barriers going to reservations, but it gave students who would eventually become journalists in South Dakota contacts 
on those reservations so that if there was some kind of news, they had people they could call and say, who should I talk to to find out this or find out that? And uh, our students subsequently in South Dakota have been extraordinary people in covering Native American affairs. Lee also taught at the University of Maryland and Southern Illinois University Edwardsville during his career. Finally, the series features Jack Marsh, who spent 27 years working for various Gannett newspapers. In 1992, he became executive editor of the Argus Leader and received a note from legendary Gannett CEO Al Newharth. One of the first uh, notes I got, may have been the very first note I got, was from Al Newharth. And Al Newharth said, Al Newharth by that time had retired from the Gannett Company. He was chairman of the Freedom Forum, a foundation that he had taken over. And he simply said, welcome to the sacred soil of South Dakota. This is my home state. Uh, uh, I hope that, uh, you know, we, might, we can stay in touch. Uh, you know, good luck. It was a turning point in what would become a long partnership. Between 1998 and 2014, Marsh served as president and COO of the Al Newharth Media Center and of the Freedom Forum Diversity Institute. He has long been an advocate for the First Amendment and diversity initiatives. He's also watched with concern the decline in journalism resources in South Dakota and now serves on the board of South Dakota Newswatch, the new nonprofit focused on in-depth reporting. Well, I think that, and this is a concern I have, uh, you know, dwindling, dwindling resources uh, devoted to journalism in South Dakota, that's a real concern to me. Uh, and I realize that's a reality, uh, an economic reality, uh, but it's a, it's a concern nonetheless because uh, we need good journalism in this state. We need watchdog journalism. We need investigative journalism. And I'm afraid uh, there's, there's not the level of original reporting that we should have right now. Uh, and that's been a big change. You know, you guessed the si what was the size of the newsroom at the Argus Leader when I came and then you compare it to today. Uh, you know, it's a fraction of the size as it was. There are very good people there, you know, they're you know, top-notch professionals still at the Argus Leader, but there are fewer of them. There's, you can't do more with less. It doesn't work. The rest of this series will examine childhood news memories of our journalists how they got started in the business, and their thoughts on the future of journalism. For the Dakota Journalist Podcast, I'm Terry Finneman, with sound editing by Savannah Wakefield. And these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland. Mm -hmm.